what type of position should we have on such a controversial and very murky topic like this? You know, taxes, taxation is that. And yeah, I don't know why you'd throw a pickaxe at anybody. Well, I want to talk a little bit today and revisit the issue of Christians and their view of authority. Uh... Hey Josh, you've been watching the news lately? I have, and it's a dumpster fire. You know what? It's felt like this for quite some time now. Yeah, certainly. But every once in a while, the fire burns a little brighter and it catches my attention. Yep. So I want to talk a little bit today and revisit the issue of Christians and their view of authority, government, and their disposition towards it. A lot of interesting stuff going on right now with lab leak theory mm -hmm. and the Fauci emails. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about this a little bit. That sounds good. Welcome, everybody, to Kingdom Thinking. I'm Hansel, your host. This is Josh, my co-host. And today we want to revisit the topic of Christians and their disposition towards governments. Should there be a trust or mistrust initial disposition towards that? With reference today, in particular, to uh, some of these emails and, and uh, lab leak theories. So yep. for my benefit and maybe some of our viewers, can you catch me up to speed on Okay, what's the issue here? Sure. So there's a basic, uh, we'll kind of break this down into two different things, right? So the Fauci emails and the lab leak theory okay. are two different things, uh, but they dovetail together for a very important cause. So uh, the Fauci emails were obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, right? And there was a, uh, originally, I believe it was done by BuzzFeed and then Washington Post also reported on it. And basically is at the beginning of the pandemic, you have these emails that were released to the public uh, that kind of generate some conversation around what Fauci's responses look like to early things, people who reached out to him. A lot of these emails are kind of innocuous, right? But there's, I think, some like 900 of them or correspondences total that people have read through somewhere in that neighborhood. And what came of that was this conversation around uh, the coronavirus being engineered in a lab in the Wuhan province and then having that escape from the lab, mm -hmm. right? And so there's kind of like this overlapping just between like the Fauci emails where there's a lot of things just to comb through on itself. And then this lab leak theory, which has kind of gained new wind after, you know, mm. kind of being brushed out of the mainstream light uh, for the last several months or so. And so what we're seeing now is uh, all of the political parties have kind of taken up their resident camps and everybody's mm -hmm. yelling at each other and throwing pickaxes across the world. You know, not pickaxes, spears, throwing spears at each other uh, from each side of their camp. I don't know why you'd throw a pickaxe at anybody. Uh, and so, right, people on the left are saying like you go through and you comb through the Fauci emails and you see like he was doing the best he could amidst this super chaotic and super wild time uh, and the emails do show that right everybody is trying to get a piece of this guy everybody's trying to talk to him everybody's mm -hmm. like what's going on people in China are also contacting him you know everybody from like the NFL Facebook China like everybody wants to know PayPal asked him to come speak to their employees I mean it's just like why PayPal? But, you know, it's like all of these people want to get yeah. a little bit of uh, attention of Dr. Fauci. And then this lab leak theory was something uh, that was kind of caught up in that email correspondence. And it shows uh, in the emails that there was a time around late January where the notion of a lab leak uh, was actually first brought to his attention. Right. And so people on the right are saying, look, we have early evidence of this. Right. Republicans are often uh, in the last few months have been criticizing Fauci for not handling this pandemic while saying he flip-flopped on everything, he was changing stuff, he outright admitted to like saying don't wear masks when he knew masks were effective because he didn't want the, you know, the general customer to do a run on masks and make it hard for nurses to get them. And so people have like grown a real distrust from him. And so for Republicans, these emails kind of function as like 
this beginning part of the story, right? That kind of fill in the prelogue or the prologue rather uh, to this is saying like, look, more evidence that Fauci like knew stuff was mm. maybe coming from the lab and he didn't say anything about it. And the response to that has been, well, it's like, yeah, but that was really championed by Trump and Trump is like a liar and says a lot of stuff that was untrue and was like kind of ginning up all this racism and trying to get people to be upset uh, at Chinese people and cause these problems. So we don't want to pay attention to it as the mainstream media and blah, 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 blah. So people are basically arguing one of two things, right? The left is saying this guy did the best he could in an untenable situation and the emails kind of proved the chaos that was his life for these, you know, I think it's just like March and April we have uh, these emails um, or fe- it might be February and March. And so, uh, you know, you get a little bit of a picture, okay. but it confirms that. And the people on the right are saying, look, we have a two month better in-depth window to show that like Fauci's just basically a bureaucrat who cares less about following the science and more about like just doing the lines that are going to protect bureaucratic institutions and he's going to mm. represent those interests better interesting and so this is leading us into this conversation where it's like well as christians what type of position should we have on such a controversial mm-hmm. and very murky topic like right. this right because oftentimes as evangelicals we're associated with the right and conservatism and we should kind of assume that we're just going to champion that response but you know you see the analysis of these emails and you're like I wouldn't want to be that guy there. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, anybody who will be gracious to Fauci just for a moment will go like, that guy's had a hellacious 16-month run, you know, with all of this stuff going down. And so the question becomes, what position do we maintain? Mm-hmm. How does this speak then bigger to the conversation of, like, trusting the government? You know, are they intentionally pulling the wool over our eyes? How do mm-hmm. we navigate that? What does that do with like passages that we'll talk about later on, like Romans 13, right? That talk about like the government being instituted by God. Mm-hmm. Like these are real big deals and real serious things. And we talked about this, right? This is one of our first episodes that we did. Uh, but I think it's important because as more of these things kind of come out, there's a bigger push and pull for like commitment, allegiance, right? right? Like right. where's our, our citizenship, all exactly. that kind of stuff. Particularly when it's the same institutions and the same voices that are now uh, big influencers for things like vaccines sure certainly um and then i mean i'm kind of hesitant to say this but now the the conversation about the election yeah yeah i mean this all ties back into resurrected that. from the dead you know yeah. what i mean and it's and not it's like fun- the good save your soul kind of way not right. not like right. that way <laughs> so i've seen this kind of was prompted in my mind because of a few memes i saw last okay. week and so th- there's the, the meme that comes to my mind is it's uh, it's this little kid kind of having a smug smile sitting in front of the computer. And the text is, uh, me after losing quote-unquote friends for finding out now that Fauci was a fraud all along, mm-hmm. right? And uh, or uh, the, another one is like somebody holding a sign again with a smug face saying, if now you're surprised that conspiracy theories about the pandemic were actually validated wait until we talk about the election results yeah like it's all tied together right and so we still have this polarization we just see it stiffening and widening in different areas and again i still think it's a pressing concern for christians how do we respond to such a harsh tug of war yeah particularly with trump's resurgence here right as he's beginning to step back into the public limelight he's giving speeches now he's talking more 
Uh, he's been blogging for several months, right? And there's been uh, pretty dramatic, you know, kind of drumming up of support in certain QAnon corners of the internet for him to come back. You know, some people have said, even in his own camp, that he is privately telling people that he's going to be president by August of 2021. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, if there's even a hint of truth to that, right? Or some people formerly from his cabinet have said, like, we need a Myanmar takeover there. And, like, we need a, you know, that same type of, like, revolution that happened there so we can get Trump back in the White House, right? And so it's like, yes, these are a little bit of fringe folks, right, right. in his cabinet, maybe not the most, like, uh, it's not like Mike Pence is saying this. Right. Uh, but that that aura is out there. Exactly. In the ether, certainly. It, yeah, yes. And, I mean, all right, so what do we do with this? Yeah, well, I think the first place we got to go is Romans 13. Okay. Because. So what's the gist of that passage? Yeah, this is like evangelicalism's, like, trust the government, you know, when it's like, the one, the way certain things should be when they tend to be like stuff that we believe in, right? right? <laughs> when it's convenient. Uh, yeah. And so Peter Enns, who's an amazing evangelical scholar, has a great summary of the passage that I want to uh, kind of quote in full here. Okay. He says, the governing authorities have been instituted by God and to resist these authorities is to resist God. If you conduct yourself well, you have nothing to fear. If you do what is wrong, you will feel the brunt of their authority. And since they do not bear the sword in vain, do they? Of course not. The authorities are God's servants. I don't, you know. And so the idea here is like, we don't really need to, draw a map and kind of get connected. The idea that it seems to be at face value is that Paul is saying like, government's good. God uses the government. Do what you're told. No problems. Right. It's like, okay, pretty cut and dry. Like we can turn off the cameras. We can go home, you know? And so, uh, clearly, right. We can just know from like a very brief glance at history. Like that's not entirely true. Like no American actually thinks that Paul thinks that in like a ubiquitous span of time across all situations, places and spaces, because America wouldn't exist if that was true, because we revolutionized, we had a revolutionary war and we threw off the British crown. Right. And so uh, the idea here, though, is like, what do, what do we really have to deal with when we turn the conversation to like, well, what about when the government becomes corrupt? Right. Mm-hmm. And this is the conversation where it stops being black and white and people start leaving some room kind of for nuance, right? And uh, Enns has a great comment here. He says, well, I don't see Paul giving us that option in his affirmation or teaching, right? Government, governing authorities simply are instituted by God, period. What he says is clear, quote unquote, and if we can't trust what God is saying here so clearly, then we can't trust him anywhere. And Paul is giving no expiration date or escape clause, right? And so, and he's still kind of speaking in that, like, if you are taking it just at a cursory glance or at a very face value glance, you can't make the argument that like some governments are corrupt and they deserve to be thrown off because Paul doesn't give or grant the exception clause, you know, in that, in that kind of passage. And so, uh, but there's a kind of an important point here where he, he points to Luke Timothy Johnson and he's in uh, LTJ's commentary reading Romans, right? He, he says this, First, in the Greco-Roman world, the basic social order was a household with the father as the head, and then this social order was then applied to the empire where the empire was the head of the family, right? The paterfamilias here. And so in that day, part of the cultural environment, and this would have been an utterly natural thing for Paul and his readers. And hmm. so to simply think that Paul's words are a timeless blueprint, uh, despite how clearly he's affirming and teaching here, would be a mistake. Because mm. in this period where Paul's writing, somewhere around 55-ish AD, right, neither Judaism nor the Jewish subgroup of Jesus followers were understood as an immediate threat to Rome, right? Everybody was pretty much more or less kind of getting along, right? And this is a couple years before Nero goes totally crazy and starts, you know, lighting Christians on fire for his garden parties. And so basically, 
we have to be careful of this because we need to remember that the historical context mm. of Paul's writing plays a crucial part in informing our conversation of how we should read Paul's writing, right? So if Paul was situated in a different context, like after the fall of the Jerusalem temple in AD 70, when the Romans come in and destroy it, he might say something different, right? Hmm. And so understanding there that Paul can't be held responsible for practical advice that he's giving in his specific locale and time period to be this like prescriptive narrative that we have to understand for all time across all spaces, all situations is important because that's going to frame how we talk about conversations like this one on what we should do and how we use that passage. Yes. For it. Well, that is that is fascinating. I had never heard that. Yeah. That just that passage uh, read that way before. So I I have a very conflicting response to that. Okay. What? Yeah. Let's hear. Uh, it. So hermeneutically, I do. Meaning, okay. Meaning, as a method of interpretation, I'm very conflicted on that. On the one hand, like, oh, that makes sense. Um, to take specifically situated passages and then try to apply them as a tool, uh, particularly when it's convenient, mm -hmm. is dishonest right. and uh, inappropriate. Yes. On the other hand, it's I, I think we're doing the same thing or we run the danger of doing the same thing if we want to separate um, or start picking and choosing which prescriptions or which um, yeah. which assertions of Paul are specifically yeah. located yep. great. and which ones are not. Great, great. Yes, and, and this is a real thing to be concerned with here, right? One of the easy sniff tests, though, is just to wonder how this would hold up in any other arena of life, right? So it's like, should we read Romans 13 as prescriptive, meaning like this is a command that we're supposed to follow for all times, or descriptive as like this is how it was in, in his day time. when he wrote? Uh, all we have to do is look at the conversation of like slavery, right, for okay. this one. Like we lost 600,000 people in this country to fight a war over slavery, but it was like the law of the land for a certain time. And so if we're just supposed to obey the government and we're just supposed to believe that God is the one who sets up governments, then you would have to logically extrapolate that to be like, well, you know, God clearly believed then that black people should be enslaved in America. And so no sane person would maintain that position. So they would understand that at least on some issues, we understand this context as descriptive and not a prescriptive thing for us to maintain at all times. Yes. Uh, I think... So I think the case for that is not as neat as you're making it seem. Okay. Because there's a lot of other passages in Scripture that talk about government as well. Sure. Sure. And so if, but I, but I, that example is the most poignant in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Right. Something like that, or or like the Crusades. Well, if it can't pass that sniff test, right. When that's the lowest level. Yes. Then certainly that's it, the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. That gives us pause. You have to nuance it yeah. in some other way, right? Yeah. Now, now I think if I were to push back on that, I would say, well, hold on, but you have Daniel in in the book of Daniel, right? Who is clearly commanded to do something by the empire, by the government. Which is like, nope. You're gonna you're gonna pray at this time. You're gonna eat this food. All these things that he's commanded to do, and he's he's like standing up and refusing to do that. Mm -hmm. And at least from the perspective of the narrator, the way that the narrative is told, that's an honorable, God honoring thing. Right, right. Right. And so it's like, you don't have to do all this rocket science in Romans 13 to say, the not 
every government everywhere at every time is exercising God's will. Right. You just have to go to a different place in Scripture. Correct. Right? So my point in saying that is with something like, and again, I think slavery is such a good example because it's it's the most uh, poignant. Yeah, it's certainly visceral. Right? Yeah. Um, what do we do with that? Because that, mm-hmm. I mean— that's going to open up a lot of other cans of worms. Yeah. Uh, because it was a lot of Christians yeah. who were yeah, reading pushing the Bible for that movement. Yeah. In a certain way. Right. So that, that, I mean, that gets us into different topics of how do we know Christians are reading the Bible correctly? Right. right. And, and so, like, but that's beyond the scope of this conversation. Um, my point is can we gather from, and let's stick to Romans 13 just yeah. for the sake of this conversation, right? Authorities are God-instituted. They are placed there by God. Can we gather from there enough to say that there should be an initial disposition of trust or a disposition of caution and mistrust from there? I will never not approach a government without the hermeneutic of suspicion as, like, my main tool that I wield. So that's a fancy way of saying, like, I, Suspicion is your your go to. Very rarely going to trust the government about anything. Now, there. is is that you personally, or yeah. are you saying that? No, based I on think that I think that should be a prescriptive statement that most Christians take towards governmental assessment of things in general. Okay, and why? So it's not to be flippant, but that is to say, it's like any time there's a conversation about any individual or group of them trying to amass power, mm-hmm. I'm very skeptical suspicious. and I'm very suspicious of them. I don't care who they are. I don't care what reason. Uh, Power is a very dangerous thing to wield. Yeah. And it appeals to the most base natures that we have as human beings. Mm -hmm. And so anytime somebody's grabbing or gunning for that, you know, myself included, whether it's like I want a a different job in my church or I want to raise or, you know, it's like I'm suspicious of my own motives there. And so I carry that with me into the the realm of government where it's the most on display. Yeah. It's the most poisonous, at least in our contextual system. Yeah. Uh, and it's the most volatile because it changes every, you know, couple of four or six years, right? Depending right. on where you occupy. Exactly. So I think a lot of Christians would share that sentiment. Yeah. Right. Um, there's a lot of associations to uh, Christians and the foundations of this nation as a safe heaven and a refuge for the Puritans to be able to worship sure. and to throw off the persecutors who want to impede that. And like, and then ironically oppress the other people that are here. So, I mean, <laughs> so like there's, what I'm saying is I don't think, so what you're saying isn't wild. Right. Yeah. I don't think so. I think a lot of Christians were like, yeah, small government is good. Yeah. Um, and then that has economic ties, right? Free market. Sure. Um, you know, taxes, taxation is theft, and I'm, sure, I'm just kidding. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what you're saying isn't wild, but what I, what I'm really curious about is two things. One thing is how do we as the church not fall into the temptation to wield the government as a club? Yep. But on the other hand, step up to provide a safety net for those who cannot be taken care of without some sort of system yes. that is going to help them. Yes. So how do I ma- mitigate my suspicion of somebody who wants power? Like that's that's the job description, right? right? Like we, know, yeah. we don't have to hide that. Totally. But at the same time, be like, we kind of need that yep. because people aren't going to be able to have healthcare without yeah. it. And sure. How do I navigate that? Yeah, I think the biggest conversation is trying to find things around what we can do as believers, right? Because power is 
a position change every several years, right? Yeah. Republicans are in office somewhere, then Democrats get elected. But churches are pretty constant mm. through those conversations, right? Okay. So I think there are some good conversations or alternatives to consider, right? Where it's like uh, there's Christian healthcare, like MediShare, right? Where people pull together and you contribute X amount of your money every month to pay for people's bills, right? And so I think there's alternatives like that that are at least worthy of consideration. Now, they're not always the best or they're not always run well. And so you got to be leery of those things as well. Uh, and you should have, you should be suspicious about those things as well. Um, but I think that's an, that's an answer, right? Mm. And so to me, the conversation is less about whether or not we can trust the government because it's like, you know, whether it's, that's an, it's almost an irrelevant question at this point, I think, because our government is so, uh, big or bloated or, you know, whatever language you want to use. It's like, it's not going anywhere. And it's like, you know, there's a lot of conversations on the right about like revolution and overthrow. It's like, stop, like, no, you guys aren't going to do that. You guys enjoy your iPhones too much. Like nobody's leaving their house to go willingly die to try and fight Joe Biden. Right. It's not a thing. (laughs) And if they are, that's dumb. And, And so, so, so to me, the better conversation is like, what are some side chains that we can build huh. as the church to empower people to move? And if we hyper localize the conversation to say, like, we are concerned with our area mm-hmm. and we are going to do everything we can to eliminate need in our area. And if all Christians thought this way and became hyper vigilant in this kind of capacity, it would not render the government moot, but it would do a lot to solve a lot of the issues in terms of taking steps forward towards okay. economic security, fiscal, or uh, ec- yeah, economic security, housing security, job security, things like that. Interesting. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're not saying um, if the Christians replaced or stepped up yeah. and handled some of these roles, then we wouldn't even need the government. Well, You're not saying that. It's like, but like, do you do you think that these things could legitimately be solved? In in other words, um, I, I just had a conversation with somebody and his the post was I I care about healthcare for people who don't have it. I mm-hmm. care about um, job security. I care about food and all these kinds of things. But I happen to think the government is the worst vehicle to get those things done. Yeah. I like, mean, is that essentially what you're saying? Well, I've never had a good governmental experience with bureaucratic agencies Not even one way or the DMV? other. They're, like, actually, the DMV people have been nice to me. They've always been nice to me. But the waits, you know, I got to get up at 630 to get there by 7 to be the 55th person in line when it opens at 8. It's like it doesn't work that well. And so I think this is a multi-pronged effect. So when you specifically get back to the lab leak and the Fauci stuff, it's like when you go through those Fauci emails, it's one person absorbing. So he's drinking from a fire hose of information, of requests, Mm -hmm. of updates. And it's like. That's not like there's got to be a more efficient way to do. Oh, I feel bad there. Like, I think he made some big blunders. I don't like the way he handled a lot of these things. Uh, I do uh, find myself being a little bit critical of the way that he's like admitted to lying and Mm. like admitting to misleading the public for safety reasons and stuff like that. It's like, if you're going to do that, just don't say anything. Like, just let it be. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, so I have problems with those things personally. But I also like, what else could you expect the guy to do? It's like the worst thing that you can think of. It's the, you know, like an airborne thing that causes death in people like that's terrifying. And so I would never, ever, ever assume that I could trade places with the guy or do half as good of a job. Right. So I think the better understanding is this is a multi prong issue. The government plays some role in this. And it has to. Uh, but I think churches also need to play a bigger role in this. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the better way to say it. It's like the Wuhan leaks with, st- or, yeah, the leak from the, the lab in Wuhan, uh, you know, it's hard for me to like 
get behind the people. Uh, I mean, basically, it's hard for me to get behind Republicans who say like, "Yeah, Fauci's trash." Cause it's like, well, Trump was saying a lot of things there, and like, Trump was no like solid purveyor of only truths ever, right? Like that would be a foolish thing to assume. And then just because you hear a theory doesn't mean you have to substantiate it or you have enough evidence to put something like that publicly out there that's going to be consumed and combed over Mm -hmm. like for Fauci. And so it's just like, it's a no win situation all the way through. And so to me, the conversation is best understood as like, what does it look like when we begin to love our neighbor in every encapsulating form of that word, right? So like making sure that they have food, making sure that they have housing, making sure that they have training, making sure they have opportunities. Like churches and cities can partner together, no problem to make this stuff happen, you know, especially if you're willing to just do it under certain auspices. And I would just push and challenge our churches to say like, what could our lives look like if we were willing to play ball with this government, these governmental organizations, even if we On don't have micro this, level. Yeah. Even if we don't have the same sets of belief systems, it's like love your neighbor as yourself is trans political party. It's above any national conversation. Like there's no limit to that. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to love people and take care of them irrespective of whether or not they say yes to Jesus. Like our job is to serve people. And so should Christians trust the government? It's like, I mean, probably not. But probably you kind of have to as a default thing because they're here. They're not going anywhere. So it's like you want to get all worked up over it. It's like, okay, fine. But, like, you're going to complain about the person you elect in four years anyway. There, So it's like, I don't know. It just feels so stupid to me at this point because it's just a circle where everybody just gets mad at each other. There, And it's like whoever gets to be in power just gets to pee on the other party for the next four years and just make fun of them and, like, oh, they're all trash. And then it just switches. And yeah. so it's like – I, don't, I just don't have the energy for that. I think it's no, a waste no. of time. So I get that. I get that. On the other hand, I do have sympathy for people who uh, see the real-life consequences. Yeah, some, like, for sure. Because now the same people that we're talking about, we can't say on the one hand, like, ah, oh, just ignore it, kind of live your right. life. Because these are the same people who are saying, you got to get vaccinated right. or you can't fly. Right. 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 Um, which is kind of a, a totally interesting HIPAA yep. situation, right? Right, because medical records are supposed to be private, but not really, I guess. Because I don't know if it applies to private companies, though. No, no, no. I'm saying like your personal vaccination. Oh, record, sure, right. Sure. Um, so that's kind of interesting. But so, do we trust the vaccine then? Like, what about the election? And it just opens up a can yeah. of worms, right? And so, do you would you take the same disposition to say? Like we maybe we can't know for certain with some of these things, so just keep your head down and focus on what's in front of you. You'll never be able to know anything for certain when it comes to like the way our government works, right? Like true, our government has completely abdicated the original idea of what the government was supposed to look like in the founding documents, right? Like the Congress has ceded most of its power to the president, and most of it just gets decided by the Supreme Court now, which is a complete kind of misshaping of what our government's supposed to be. So. That to me has gone out the window a long time ago there. So it's like in the conversation that we're having now, it's like, dude, the government's going to do whatever the government wants. And if you want to like make your battleground, like getting your people in the government so that it does what you want it to do, like that's fine. But it's super short-sighted to me where it's like we're having a conversation about eternality here for everybody. And so it's like we want to serve people because people are going to still have needs in five years there. And so it's like, if we did a better job of focusing on structures, really the conversation comes down to 
a church-wide focal lens shift to being willing to plant seeds. You know, have you heard this expression, right? You plant the seeds of trees whose shade you'll never get to enjoy. Mm. There, And so taking this longer kind of viewpoint of history and just realizing, like, the government's probably always going to suck. And we need to, as people, do the most good with our voting, right? We need to do something that's going to do the most good for, like, the most amount of people. Mm. And now we'll define good differently, and so that will always be a point of attention uh, on certain issues. But it's like that can't be the main thing, right, right, for me. I think that's got to be a side issue that we talk about. Well, I would say it's a good thing that you just got uh, promoted to outreach pastor. Yeah, then. I mean, for sure. That's 100%. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. What do you guys think? Is our approach maybe too naive? Uh, where would you maybe agree or disagree with Josh on his approach to this? Leave us a comment and make sure you check us out on the Juice app. Thanks for tuning in to Kingdom Thinking, and we'll make sure to see you guys next time.